0: Hi there, you're listening to So What? A podcast from Canadian Mennonite University. CMU is in Winnipeg, Manitoba on Treaty 1 land. I'm your host, Jonas Cornelson, in Treaty 7, Calgary, Alberta. This is episode 3 in our reconciliation series, and I've been delighted to collaborate on these episodes with Christy Anderson, who works as the Indigenous Engagement Advisor at CMU. I'm going to play her introduction for you again, and then I'll set up our conversation for this month.
1: Hello, Christy Anderson, Indigenous penemutang Indoji, Indigenous mahigan indodem. In the language of my ancestors, I just introduced myself. My name is Christy Anderson. I'm from Panemutang First Nation, Treaty 2 territory, and I am of the Wolf Clan.
0: As I said, Christy and I have been working on this series for a couple of months. And last month, we were talking about treaties and land acknowledgements. We listened to a clip from John Ralston Saul speaking at CMU, and we asked, What does it mean to think about a land acknowledgement as a protocol, not just a politeness? What are some action items that can and should accompany the practice of giving land acknowledgements? After that, Christy and I switched to talking about treaties as spiritual and sacred agreements, again, using John Ralston Saul as a jumping off point. We had so much to say that I decided to save that topic for today's episode. Don't worry if you haven't heard the previous one. This one will still make sense. So just sit back and relax as I press play on part two of my Zoom call, Talking Treaties with Christy. I've got another, I've got another clip of John Saul that takes us in a bit of a different direction. He talks about sort of the spiritual elements undergirding treaty relationships and, and what that looks like kind of in today's Canada compared with the colonial sense of like, well, as he says, you know, rocks are dead and trees are just trees. <laughs> so sort of the w- the way that that has evolved in, in perhaps mainstream Canadian thinking or not. Um, I'll, uh, I'll let John speak for himself for a couple of minutes here and then we'll pick it back up.
1: All right, let's hear it.
2: There's another element which is really fascinating, and to point it out in this university, which is that contained within most of those protocols, there's a spiritual element. I didn't say a religious element, I said a spiritual element, because of course one of the insistences of the Europeans of the second half of the 19th century When they had the numbers, I mean, they would have done it sooner had they been able to get away with it. Um, And the 20th century was to insist that there was only religion and it had to be Christianity or Judeo Christianity, Judeo Christianity, um, uh, and that spirituality was just superstition. We just stuck with this idea that, you know, rocks are dead and trees are just trees and animals are to be killed and, you know, that sort of old fashioned. Christian or Judeo-Christian view of how things functioned. And so what I find fascinating is the facility with which these same Canadians, I mean, altered, because there are always new kids being born and new people immigrating and becoming citizens, have found it surprisingly easy all of a sudden to just go, go along with, accept, digest, agree with spirituality as a way of opening conversations. That's really interesting. I actually think it's incredibly positive, frankly, but the reason I'm saying it to you is because I think it's something we should be not simply doing, it's always good to start by doing it, but to actually think about why we're finding it easy. Maybe we're discovering the real stories that we have within us that were covered up for so long by the false stories.
0: So, yeah, thoughts on that? I mean, spirituality, kind of, again, this sort of sense of, like, we do it intuitively, but what's the deeper meaning behind it?
1: Oh, man, this is an area I'm so passionate about, so passionate about, because I grew up without any um, spirituality or system Mm -hmm. of faith, whether it be Christian or indigenous traditional practices. I had nothing. And I had a really tough childhood, so, you know, it got... It was unbearable at some points, right? And it was like, well, why am I even here? Mm-hmm. And I and I went down a really rough path. And then, you know, my spiritual awakening was a Christian awakening. It was an encounter with Jesus where I very, I had a very upfront and up close and personal experience where I literally came face to face with Jesus. And so in in many ways, like, I began exploring what it meant to be a Christian before I really started to explore and try and understand what it meant to be Anishinaabe Kwe or an Ojibwe woman or a Soto woman, right? And uh, so I have this really, like, I, I I I was Christian first and then figuring out my indigeneity second and then exploring my... my traditional spiritual practices as well. And I'll tell you, here we go with that narrative again. So, and this is a really like dominant kind of Christian narrative still, right? The one that Saul talks about, um, that Judeo-Christian narrative that, you know, the only story that's right is the story of the Bible. And, you know, you have to read it by the letter and follow it, follow that book by the book, you know? And and if you don't, then you're not a real Christian. And, you know, any other kind of religion or spiritual practices that fall outside of the Christian faith belief system, you know, are wrong. And, you know, <clears throat> and and like even in this, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that was what my exposure in the church was. Like, we're talking, like, only 10, 10 years ago, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, where people were still, you know, I find that Christians are so afraid. They hang on, so many of them hang on so tightly to this kind of, like, black and white God that they can easily put in a box. Like, it's oversimplified, and... um it really doesn't account for the human experience where we are often find ourselves living in this gray area. And it's when we're living in that gray area and seeking relationship with God and seeking relationship with others around us, including the natural world, that is where we are growing. And so I really like that he's talking about spiritual and not religious because, you know, religion. Religion is what killed our relationship in the first place. The forced, mm-hmm. using the use of Christianity as a weapon of colonization, it, that is the basis of what destroyed our relationship as Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so religion doesn't work. It doesn't do mm-hmm the good things that it promises it will do by following these rigid structures and rules. Right. Um, whereas spirituality is a concept. It's, it's, it's more of an open concept that can be applied to so many different faith dimensions, to so many different um, places. And to me, it has a much richer kind of meaning behind it. I would rather be known as somebody spiritual than somebody religious. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, if we think about it biblically, even like Jesus detested the religious leaders of his Mm -hmm. time. Like, I mean, he flipped their tables over and got really angry at them, like for treating people poorly and for putting God in a box. He got mad at people. Because so often when you have to adhere to that, like, strict set of rules, what you forget about is loving other people. The problem with the strength of that narrative, the Christian narrative that there's only one way, that is persistent. And it is very, in my perspective, very religious and not spiritual. Mm -hmm. Right? So we have this idea that, you know... For example, in a re- in a very fundamentalist Christian kind of perspective, you know, there's not this respect for all living things that Saul talks about, John Ralston Saul yeah. talks about, right? Like it's a, no, you know, we're the highest ordered beings, human beings were sent here, created to subdue the earth and like, you know, make it our, our own. And I mean, if you think about it, that sounds like great justification for capitalist economy <laughs> and the exploitation of the earth. I mean, who was framing out that story? Whereas if you look at it from a spiritual perspective and go, "Wait a minute, no, like those waters are our relatives. They give us mm-hmm. life." Yeah, you know, we need to respect them and sing to them and keep them clean and take care of them and honor their life, the life within them that they share with us. And that's not to say that indigenous like ways are just completely like over romanticized in my mind as being ultimately perfect and flawless or anything like that either. It's just that I would say conceptually and ideologically indigenous ways of understanding the spiritual spirituality and the world and relations with one another is a lot more open than a Christian Mm -hmm. one right
0: I would I would say too I think the the idea of not over romanticizing indigenous um, ways of knowing is is really important but I think another real key for people who are newcomers to to these lands is that the indigenous ways of knowing that are from here are fundamentally about these lands you know they they narrate the story of how to live right here that's something that i think is still an incredibly valuable asset to uh, to these conversations
1: yeah and and what can we learn from that to make change yeah. once again right like like if we all if we all started thinking you know here goes another one of those catchphrases right but water is life if we all truly like every single canadian indigenous and non-indigenous person within these lands truly believed down to our soul <laughs> in the bottom of our hearts that water is life yeah, and that water is our relative because we cannot survive without water how would that change the way that we treat mm-hmm. the water right
0: yeah let's let's take it back a bit to the idea of treaties and spirituality i Okay. I'm, I'm working on this in my head as we go. <laughs> so we're thinking
1: <laughs> I kind of talk around things too sometimes, yeah. so all good.
0: Let's let's just sort of, a, you know, to perhaps oversimplify things, let's take two sides, two parties to to the to the numbered treaties, for example. And if we want to look at it in terms of spirituality, we could call that the Chris, the Christian British Crown and the spirituality that existed within within the First Nations. I wonder if, if it's possible to, to approach those relationships from the settler side, from a posture of spirituality that says the teachings of our tradition of, of the Jesus story of the gospels, et cetera, those were not applied in a good way previously, but they can lead us into better relationships and also into understanding and respect for the spirituality that, that comes with these treaty, these brothers and sisters, these relationships. Mm Mm-hmm. Does that work?
1: (laughs) Well, I can make a little bit of a comment. So I think specifically if we talk about it, so like this is also another challenge because what you're talking about is a settler state that was formed and very influenced by Christianity. But what we can look upon as we can look back on and saying, well, that type of Christianity really didn't, represent the true gospel, you know, at the time. It was actually fueled by greed and um, by this idea that white people were far superior to any person of color, including Indigenous people, and therefore could use their lands better, right? Um, better than and than, than anyone else yeah. it, to, to justify that, right? Right. This whole doctrine of discovery kind of thing. So it was really rooted in like greed and... And then we find ourselves today, right? We find ourselves in in this place today where we're not even a Christian society anymore. Like we're a secular society. Mm. And so it's even more challenging because we need to ground the idea of treaties as being a sacred covenant. Mm-hmm. Right. So this idea, and that's a very Christian kind of concept, right? A covenant, a sacred agreement between settlers or the crown negotiators who yeah. are, were settler people, indigenous leadership and mm-hmm. God and creator, right? Like yeah. God was the other signatory here yes. <laughs> and yeah. was the present witness to all the oral understandings and conversations mm-hmm. that happened around what was to define this relationship that was emerging. Mm-hmm. And so I find it really challenging because not it's I have a lot to say. I can be very critical of the church yeah. and of Christians, but in some ways I'm also like, you're our only hope <laughs> because at least you have this understanding of sacredness, right? Like, I, I have a lot of expectations for Christians now mm-hmm. that, you know, you have this kind of sordid history that we come from. We're in a secular society now. Y'all understand what sacred means. You got to step yeah. up, <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> it's
1: time to step up and be like, whoa like this was a really meaningful agreement that we Mm -hmm. need to take a lot more seriously. Cause this was an agreement that we understand was made between our ancestors and, and God for us to be relatives and for everyone to have a good life. Like, and that's not happening.
0: Yeah. I wonder if to some extent the, the disentanglement of, of christianity or at least explicit christianity from state power actually strengthens the christian position by way of of speaking to that sacredness because they can actually kind of hopefully nudge the institutions of colonial power in in that direction without also having the burden of explicitly kind of managing it as as the governing authority
1: and you know it'd be great if they saw that if like christian kind christians as churches and institute as their own kinds of institutions saw that as an opportunity and actually did that kind of advocacy work. Right. This has very much everything to do with writing that relationship of the intended relationship, the Mm -hmm. treaty relationship that was sacred and agreement made between us and God.
0: On a, on a different angle you know for for those we'll call them secular Canadians those who may not even have time for spirituality kind of in their own practices how can people embrace a sense of spirituality or or at least kind of understand how important that is to treat relationships in order to to invest in that
1: I think Saul was right on that like individual secular folks it's much easier for them to appreciate if not accept spiritual principles Mm
0: -hmm.
1: as opposed to religious doctrine and and dogma, right? It's easier. Like I know people who are atheists who have great respect and reverence for Indigenous spirituality and, you know, we'll even go to sweat lodge ceremonies and, you know, they look at it from different perspectives, right? It's not necessarily that there's this higher being or higher power or entity, but more of a, all that is around me, all of my relations, I am, I am one with creation, one yeah. with nature is more of their vibe. But the problem with it though, the problem with even that acceptance is that there's a lot of really deep understandings that come with deepening our knowledge and understanding of indigenous spiritual practices and and ceremonies and protocols um that may get missed i think a lot of times but still having an appreciation is better than nothing
0: Mm -hmm. you know for
1: sure i'm not sure if i I really answered your question
0: no that's that's very insightful i was just earlier we talked a little bit about how mainstream society perhaps with with an absence of spirituality, maybe from governance. Yes. That that in political context, we might say, "Well, oh, the treaties are just text," um, compared with this this understanding that they're actually very much weighted with sacred understanding and obligation.
1: And that they're living yeah. and alive, right? Like, yeah. we, we got we got to get out of that mentality of that treaties were a thing that happened, yeah. and that we have to, you know, that we need to uh, interpret them as they were written, we need to move past that and understand the living aspect, the sacred living aspect of that relationship, right? Like Mm -hmm. that it grows, that it changes, that we negotiate the terms ongoing in an ongoing fashion. We figure out what works and what doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. It's like any other relationship. That's the kind of attitude we need to move towards with treaties.
0: And do you you see that kind of coming from people who you might who might otherwise be, quote, secular or or non-religious?
1: I think, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't you know what? It's really hard to say because. I just finished reading a whole lot of really amazing stuff on like, (laughs) I have this, I have a book right in front of me right now, the right relationship, Reimagining the implementation of historical treaties. And so to me, I'm like, yes, all these people, like they're saying all these amazing things. But then I think like in the broader social situations, are we there yet? (laughs) I think I'm stuck in my academic bubble to be honest. I think I think everybody that I read and, and talk to mm-hmm. knows what they're talking about, but I don't know if we're there yet. I think we still yeah. have a long way to go.
0: As Christy said, yes, we have a long way to go, but I'm grateful to be on the journey with conversations like this. Thanks again to Christy Anderson for speaking with me. Next month, we are going to wrap up our reconciliation series, And our whole second season of the podcast, with more of Christie's personal storytelling on her faith journey. I'm really looking forward to that. If you want to hear previous episodes from this series and others, you can find the show on all major podcast platforms. And our Facebook page is a great place to connect. Come say hi at facebook.com slash so what podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. I'll also be posting some of Christie's book recommendations on Facebook and in the notes for this episode. Look out for those. That's it for this time. My name is Jonas Cornelson. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again next month.